This is such a good part of the song, you know? Spirit lead. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> I hate to just <laughs> jump in the song right there, but praise God. Uh, good evening, River House. How are we doing? Uh, let's, uh, let's get on our feet. I'm going to read some of the Bible. You know, we stand for Scripture just as like a, a physical act. Maybe just, you know, even take in. Like this, this is what we stand for. Uh, these words are higher than any words that I will offer and more authoritative. So we do it as a, a physical act that just positions our heart to really honor and receive the word of the Lord tonight. So this is a, a reading from Ephesians chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. That's the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You can be seated. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the voice that comes straight from your throne. Lord, we ask that your, your, your word, God, your voice will be interwoven in this house tonight, God, that it will be uh, piercing and divisive between truth and untruth, between what is reality and what is unreality, between what is your kingdom and what is not your kingdom, Lord, and that you will draw us into your story, God. We sang it, and I just continue to pray that, God, that you will catch us up into your story tonight, God. Your story is truth. Your story is reality. God, your story is what our hearts are longing to be a part of. And so we just praise you, Jesus, that you're here. And we ask that you will speak and that you'll give us ears to hear. Maybe just take a moment in the quiet and just, just prepare your heart before the Lord. Just, just tell him you're, you're, you're here to receive and here to listen. Here I am, God. Here we are. Amen. Who's hungry? <laughs> I'm hungry. I'm hungry for the word. I'm hungry for his presence. I'm hungry for his voice. I'm hungry for his will. Are you hungry, church? Yeah, we fast to get hungry. If you weren't here last week, I called the church to a 21-day fast. So there's still 14 days left. Praise be to God. You are exactly where you're supposed to be. <laughs> Uh, I, I pray that grace abounds to you in this time, and I, I want to have a message. I'm going to take a little bit of a detour from the Beatitudes and this incarnational theme to kind of uh, jump into a word that I think the Lord's put on my heart for this season of fasting specifically. And I'll just start by you know, referencing last week, I, I used this language of how Often what stands between us and what our heart is most desiring, that being God, is this thin veneer of resistance that we have to press through. Can I get an amen where you here last week? I had, I had lots of feedback uh, actually around that statement. 
uh, over the last week. Had a number of people just say, you know, that was helpful language to me because I think that many of us, if not all of us, will experience this as truth that when we come to do something like approach the scriptures or a fast or to spend time in the Lord or to Sabbath or to whatever it is, we'll often feel this resistance that, that wants to distract us or kind of push us away or repel us from what we know in our hearts that we want, but it's like in that moment we just can't find that desire. And I actually want to name that resistance. I believe that what we're doing in a fast, it, it is contending with some of this resistance, contending for a breakthrough personally, corporately, for your families, for your marriage. Like God is a God of breakthrough and he continues to bring us from one threshold of glory to another threshold of glory. And it's just up and in and up and in and up and in. And so I actually want to name this resistance tonight because it's not just a um, coincidental feeling that we have when we come to do things that are sacred and holy and life-giving. Um, this resistance has a name and its name is the devil. <laughs> uh, the devil and or the demonic and you know when we talk about the demonic that's just simply the beings that are kind of in cohorts cahoots with the devil they're his peons and uh, so the devil and the, the demonic and uh, I, I want to name this resistance and I want to name this enemy tonight because I think it's important that we are not ignorant of the schemes of the evil one and that we're not living in uh, a place of unhealth as it uh, relates to the reality of the spiritual war that you and I were born into on this planet. All right, the, we can't allow our enemy to just lurk in the shadows uh, but we need to confront him, uh, not be ignorant of his schemes, knowing that he does, uh, as Peter says, prowl about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Uh, I just want to start with some sobering truth, which is that there is an enemy that hates you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy your legacy. He wants to destroy this church. He wants to destroy. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy and the reason that he hates us is because we are the apple of his enemy's eye. We are absolutely the delight of God's heart. And, and, and it's for this reason that we have a bullseye uh, on, on our backs. Um, and this isn't to produce fear. This is just to try to bring you into the reality of the world that we live in and the, the spiritual world that we live in. Uh, as well, the, the conflict that is our inheritance as human beings made in the image of God. Uh, this resistance that I'm speaking about, oppression, whatever you want to call it, I, I, I seem to live with this. I, I, it seems to be an incessant reality in my life. And I don't know if that's just because I'm a pastor or because I'm a human. Um, but being a pastor, I get vantage point, you know, I kind of, the, the eagle's eye over the life of the church. And to just be like honest with you all as, as your pastor, like there is so much resistance in the life of this church. It has been five and a half years of just sledging, it feels like sometimes. Like, like there are times when I will get done with a week of work and I'm like, Lord, I just feel like I ran eight marathons. Like, what is going on? Why is there so much resistance? Right? There's just resistance. You know, prayer. We set out early on. The first thing we ever did in starting this church was to birth a prayer, uh, a prayer meeting. And we've gone after and contended to be a house of prayer. And oh my gosh, I had no idea how much energy and resistance there would be to creating a culture of prayer. You know, for years, like we'd do these prayer meetings and 5, 10, 15, sometimes 20 people would come and we'd be really going. And then like by God's grace, like I think we broke a threshold about a year ago and we've had nights, 70, 80 people in here on a Monday night and 30 people on a Wednesday morning and 30 people on a Sunday. And I love that, but I'm like, there's still more. I'm like, God, I, I have this vision in my mind of a, of a house of prayer from this church I was at in Columbia years ago, where at 4 a.m. there were a thousand people there on their face, seeking God, crying out, weeping to him. I've never seen anything like it. And I just wept the whole meeting and just said, God, let me see this in my own city. Let me see this type of hunger in my own nation. 
I, I believe it's the will of God for us here at Riverhouse, but my goodness, there's been resistance resistance in our in our in my own heart in my own mind resistance in the church like this you know ah there's resistance you know house churches uh, revival groups we've been trying to create this new schema of how to do church where we can grow big and grow small at the same time and we can encounter God on Sunday nights together but we can have places where we're seen and known and the gifts can be expressed and community community can be developed and oh my gosh I swear in the last five and a half years it, we've I've given twice as much effort as I thought we would give to this and gotten half as much fruit <laughs> Like, just being real, we have, I think we have 12, 12 of these groups now, by God's grace, and they are beautiful and holy, and God's doing amazing things, but it's like, Justin and I look at each other, and we're like, oh my goodness, like, this is, there's so much resistance, you know, a, a culture of worship, and really touching the heart of God, and learning how to minister to Him, it's just been resistance, I can go through all the line, like, there's such resistance to really getting into this catalytic force of the kingdom of God that I read about in the book of Acts. Like, why is there such resistance? What is keeping us from stepping in? Like, this is what I spend my life and my time and my prayer. And sometimes I just honestly, I'm like, Lord, I feel like I'm pulling a sled uphill all the time. <laughs> when do we go down? There's resistance. And, and, I, and, and that's, that's, you know, at a personal level, my goodness, I don't need to give you the horror stories of the resistance and the spiritual attack. I've seen it in my staff. I've seen hard things, health trials, financial trials, all types of things. I've seen it with revival group leaders. I've seen it with worship leaders. It's like you just name it. Like there's just always this resistance. It's like there's an enemy that doesn't want what we're doing to happen. And I'm not saying this to incite fear. I'm trying to invite you into the reality and let's open our eyes to see the reality of the tension that we are living in, right? This resistance has a name. His name is the devil. Some of you are saying, really, Jordan? Are you becoming one of those, there's a demon under every rock types of guy? And everything's the devil's fault? No, I, I'm not. But yes, really, the devil. <laughs> really, the devil. Jesus talks about him. It's all throughout the scriptures. And we need to be able to talk about him, but come to a healthy place, right? I believe there's three camps that Christians can fall into as it pertains to uh, the relationship we have, like as far as understanding who the devil is. The, the, there's only one of them that I want to advocate for. The first is an over fascination with the devil and the demonic. Uh, any of you have read the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis, it's like this satire and the whole thing is is like viewing the kingdom of god from the realm of the demonic and it's like the demons are plotting together and so it's this i'm sure you've heard that name at least if you haven't read it but uh the, the one of the the senior demons talking to the younger demon and he's like there's two things we want to do with christians we either want to make them overly fascinated with the demonic or we want them to be completely ignorant of it altogether they said in either one we're winning and, and those are the two camps. Those are the first two camps. We can become overly fascinated and everything, you know, it's, it's like when you come overly fascinated, it's almost like the spiritual version of your conspiracy theorist. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's like everything is conspiracy of how the devil's working to ruin your life. You know, it's like that acorn fell and it landed on my foot and then this, that, and it's like, you know, it's, it's just like, okay, this is too much for me. And this is where we need to be discerning people. And you can usually discern like, yeah, that feels a little wonky, right? That's a little too much. Okay, so we can come overly fascinated or the, the counter reaction to the demon under every rock mentality is to go the other way and to get lulled to sleep to the reality that we're living in a war. Both are really dangerous. I believe both actually make you very vulnerable to being influenced by the devil and his schemes. We don't want to be ignorant. We want to be overly fascinated. What I want to advocate before is a healthy awareness of what the devil, who he is and what he's trying to do. We can't be ignorant of our enemy. We need to know our enemy. We need to understand what is he trying to do? How is he trying to accomplish his will for our lives? Because whether we like this or not, we have to admit and, 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 and come to an acceptance that the devil is a very influential being. 
Uh, some would argue that he's the most influential being on planet Earth. And by looking at the world that we live in and the amount of evil and atrocity and pain and brokenness and division and divorce and trauma and abuse and addiction and horrible things that are happening. This is his will for humanity to kill, steal and destroy. All right. Jesus uh, is tempted by him in the wilderness. And he says, you know, bow down and worship me and I will give you all the keys to the kingdoms on earth. And Jesus doesn't say you're lying. Jesus just says, I will not worship you. I'll worship the Lord God and him alone. Right? Adam, mankind, gave away our authority to the enemy. And he does have uh, influence on the earth. This isn't to create some sort of fear, but again, to try to bring us to a healthy awareness that there is a reality of evil, a spiritual evil that is at work in the world. And you honestly, I think, have to be Never mind. If, if we believe that the presence of God is a reality, we should have just as much belief that the presence of darkness is a reality. Right? There is a spiritual realm that's just as real as the material world that we're living in. And if you read the scripture, you could say just as real, if not more real. And so we value, you know, it's like, this table is real. I can touch it. I can feel it. But God is spirit. And there is a spiritual reality that's real. And this is, you know, as Christians, we believe this. We believe in a life around his presence, that he's given us a, an invisible helper called the Holy Spirit, who is our guide into the truth, who's animating our life. And so we believe in the Holy Spirit. We also have to recognize there's unholy spirits. And, and as we engage with spiritual realities, it actually changes our physical realities. Right? And, and we're talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God starts in this life. It starts as a spiritual reality that then manifests into our material reality. Right? Every work of God in the earth starts as a seed, an, 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 an invisible spiritual seed sown inside of us sown in the imagination, right? An immaterial reality. Something that we have this creative faculty. It's all invisible. Our creative faculty, we can't see it. We can't touch it, right? Spiritual reality is so real, right? We have this divide. We've talked about this platonic dualism, and this does damage to us in that we think that the world is a little bit more rational and black and white at face value, and we start thinking and pondering things, we start to see there's a lot more beneath the surface than we sometimes realize. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Right, so C.S. Lewis, this is kind of a, a good quote. He says, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. There's no neutral ground. Right? There's no neutral moments in your life. Right? We live in a war, and there is a, a force of love and good who is all-powerful, who is, who is God, who is Jesus, who is the Holy Spirit, this Trinitarian community of love that has invited us into the only true story in this life called the kingdom of God, which is reality. And then there is uh, all the other stories, all the other influences, which are dark influences, and, and they're both counterclaimed. Every moment of your life is being fought for. There is a contest for who you are, who you're going to become, the life you're going to live, the person that, you're, that you are and the person that you're becoming. There's a contest. And this is why... When we talk about going to do things like prayer or church or anything that's going to actually bring us into contact with the presence of God, this is why we experience resistance. The enemy's not stupid. He knows what he's doing. So if there's no neutral ground, that means that there's battlefield. What is the battlefield of our lives? Right? I, Am I talking about, you know, a life of exorcisms and a bunch of weirdness? <laughs> Primarily, no. 
yes, things can get a little weird sometimes on this topic. Uh, I've had a few weird experiences, some in America, mostly overseas, when it comes to, to the, you know, the topic of the demonic and spiritual warfare. Um, there are some times where strange things will happen. Uh, we'll have feelings of really intense oppression in our lives, you know, uh, dark dreams. And th- these types of things happen, but I don't think that this is the primary battlefield where the, the war is won and lost in our lives. I believe that the height of spiritual warfare is actually 2 Corinthians 10.5, which says we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So a mind that is under subjection to the thoughts of God, that's the battlefield. It's the mind. The battlefield's the mind. So when we talk about, like, we often think of things, you know, like the scary movies that personify demons and then the story that somebody told you about what happened in Africa with the witch doctor. Like, we get these stories of, like, you know, wow, it's like this, woo, you know, like crazy weird stuff. And weird stuff does happen. But I think that all the weird stuff, anything that's embodied in us physically if we trace it down to the root, it's going to be a thought, a spiritual thought that was sown that we partnered with. So I don't think that you ever like wake up and then all of a sudden you're like deep in demonic oppression. Like it starts with a seed. And so, and that seed gets sown in the mind. This is the parable of the soil. This is the mind, the imagination. Be careful what's sown in it, right? And you see where Jesus is like, the seed sown and the devil comes and snatches it, right? There's all these, this conflict around the seed that we allow to be sown into our minds. Because what we believe in, what we put our faith to, there's a creative faculty within us that's, that partners with that faith. And we're made in the image of God who is the creator. So what we put our faith in, we will actually create the reality of. So the battlefield is not like going around and we need to deliver everybody and chase out the demons and search them out. The battlefield's actually a lot closer to home than we'd like to admit, which is right here in our mind. And it's a moment by moment, no neutral ground. There's a war for your mind. There's a war for your thought life. There's a war for what you will put your faith in. The, The enemy's not that creative. He's just influential. We're going to talk about how he influences the creativeness, the creative power that he channels into is your own. That's what he's after. He's after that image of God that he hates. He wants to corrupt it in you. And when we're told that we're made in the image of God, we only know two things about God in Genesis. We only know at that point that he's good and that he's a creator. So we're told we're made in the image of one who's good and who's a creator. And what the devil wants to do is he wants to distort the good into evil, but use that creativity to do it. You are far more powerful than you realize. C.S. Lewis, in one of his writings, he says, you've never met a, a mere human. And that if we would see one another in our glorified state as we will one day stand before Jesus, we would be tempted to fall down and worship one another because of the glory and the beauty of the image of God that has been impressed upon each one of our lives. We are much more than we realize. So the battle, right there, right there between your two ears, there is a daily war for what voice we are to believe. Are we going to believe the voice of truth or are we going to believe a voice of lies? That's what it comes down to. That is the spiritual war for your life. Are you going to believe truth or are you going to believe lies? I'm sure some of you have heard statements like this, and I think sometimes this gets a little oversimplified and we miss the depth of this. We miss the, the, the destructive nature of lies and how powerfully destructive they can become because we think of this, I either believe truth or lies, almost in statement form. So it's kind of like, You know, God's going to be like, Jordan, your outfit looks awesome tonight. I love this jacket that my brother Mason got me for Christmas. You look so good right now. And then the devil's like, no, you look like a loser. You look fat. You look whatever, right? And I'm like, no, I need to believe this. I look good, not that I look bad, right? Like we, and, 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 and so we think of it like this, like, 
the devil's a liar and the God's the truth sayer. And I need to listen to the true statements and not listen to the, the false statements. And it's kind of like, yeah, that's good, but it doesn't really capture like what, wh- why, why is that so powerful? What's, how is that changing the creative capacity and the influence of my life? Right? So when I say truth or lie, I want you to think story, not statement. Because human beings, we make sense of the world not through statements, through stories. It's the stories that we tell and the stories that we put our faith in that actually make everything about who we become. It's the narrative that is playing in our head. It's not just a statement. It's a story, right? Modern advertisers know this. This is why, you know, they don't advertise Range Rovers like they look cool, the paint is shiny, it's really cool tech, and they're fast. That's not the advertisement. It's like a Range Rover going through an exotic staircase on a Chinese mountainside, and it's like, adventure's waiting, it's calling you. You know what I'm talking about? I love, I love, I wish I could have a Defender, by the way. I'll just confess that openly. I think those are the coolest cars in the world. Adventures calling my name, and I just, I've just hook, line, and sinker buy into the story. I'm like, yes, this will break me free from a domesticated life, and I will live this glorious, off-roading, rugged adventure through the tundra of America. Do I need a ladder on the side? Absolutely not, but it looks cool. You know what I'm talking about? Why do I think this? Because of the story. Gosh, they're not selling a car. They're selling a story. Because they know that that story doesn't just appeal to my prefrontal cortex. It gets deep down even to my subconscious hopes, dreams, desires, understanding of life. This is, this, is, this is the modern marketing. They understand this. They understand that if they can lie to you and get you to believe it, you're going to give them a whole bunch of money. So back to the topic, there's a war for your mind. It's not statements of truth and lie. It's stories. Both God and the devil know how vulnerable humankind is to stories. We, we, it, like sociologists, and they've been studying this, we actually can't live as humans without a story. That's the only way that we make sense of the world. Like, it's like we're addicted to story. We're actually designed by God to need a story to understand our place in life, who we are, who God is. We need a story. God knows this. The devil knows this. And they are both intelligent, charismatic storytellers. They're both telling a story. And there's a big difference in the stories that they're telling. Right? God's story is appealing to your spirit. Or another way of saying that would be the depth and center of who you are. That is who God's story, that's what, that, that's what he's gravitating. And God's deepest commitment through the story he tells you is your happiness and joy and fulfillment. He, he wants to tell you the story that is the true story about life. It's called the kingdom. Of God, it's reality. It's the only thing that's real. It's the only thing that's true. It's the life that's actually life. It's it's the life that's actually joyful. That's actually fulfilling, right? And God's story encompasses every single aspect of your life: your relationships, your marriage, your children, your friendships, what you do for fun, what you do for play, how you how you steward finances, how you steward your time. Every single thing, your relationship with church, your relationship with prayer, your relationship with worship, everything about your life, God's story is encompassing it all. And he's wanting to lead you into the thing that is actually real, right? When we, when we start actually believing and trusting in the story that God is saying, that God isn't trying to steal your joy or, you know, sometimes I think, you know, Benji was talking about tithes. So if you have any upset with this, just call Benji. He seems to be a real expert on it these days. But, but we think of tithe. We think of tithe as like, oh, God's like forcing me to give 10% because like he thinks that he wants to see if I'm getting, no, like, no, it's because generosity is woven into the fabric of reality. And he's like saying, hey, I know how life actually functions joyfully. I know how to fulfill you. 
Like God's not saying things just because he thinks it's cool. Everything that God is saying about life is because he has woven these things into the very fabric of reality. And he's trying to lead us into the way of wisdom that is fruitful and life-giving and fulfilling and amazing. Uh, the fullness of life. Right? This is God's story. And it is a wonderful story. And he has promise after promise after promise after promise after promise after promise to just say, please, trust me, trust me. I created all of this. Like if we believe that God's the creator of life and we struggle trusting him to do finances the way that he says or to do church the way that he says or to spend our time the way that he says, do you see the incongruence there? It's like, he created life, not you. He's like, I, I understand how it all works. And my deepest commitments to your joy. That's his narrative. That's his story. The devil is a different story, and it's appealing to a different place. It appeals to your flesh, which is the broken and animalistic aspect of our nature that's been corrupted by sin. It's more temporary. It's usually quick fix. But that's what his story is appealing to. And his absolute commitment is to destroy your life and to rip it to pieces. He wants to deceive you into chasing after wind. Which is another way of saying effectively wasting the life that God has given you. He wants to deceive you to live uh, your whole life wishing that you were living someone else's life. He wants to deceive you into thinking that your life is not purposeful, it's not fulfilling, it's, there's nothing joyful, there's nothing. Like, yeah, he, what, what he does is he tells a narrative that actually steals all the things that God wants to give, all the goodness and the peace and the joy and all this. And he, it steals it all, but it makes you genuinely think it's, all, you almost, it's like just outside your grasp. It, it's coming, but it's just just not, just almost. He is a charismatic storyteller and he convinces human beings by the, the bushels to basically live a life like a little hamster in a wheel, chasing a carrot on a string because he's good at what he does. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. Right? And his story ultimately will produce restlessness, anxiety, fear, lack, emptiness, Nothing, not the good life. He lies to you. He deceives you. Right? He deceives you with stories that have truth woven into them, but not all the truth. Manipulating your mind. So the battle is right here. I, when, I, when I was 18 years old, I was introduced to a story that saved my life, literally. Uh, outside of scripture, this story had more influence than almost anything uh, ever has. And the story was the book, The Shack, and it was the shack, but it was actually deeper than that. It was, I listened to Paul Young's testimony and understood what the shack was. And if you haven't heard his testimony, uh, that, te that book, uh, he went through a very brutal, painful 10-year wilderness where he made a lot of mistakes. And he wrote that book after 10 years as a story of how God spoke to him to make sense of his pain. That's all the shack was. He, he wrote it to make sense of his pain and to show his children the story that he'd walked with with God. He had no intentions that that would sell millions of copies and become a movie with Tim McGraw. <laughs> Isn't God amazing? Tim McGraw. <laughs> but I, I listened to that. I, I listened to his testimony. I remember I went through a drive. I was in a ton of pain. I was in a deep depression. And I, I drove around for about three hours uh, out south of Emmett and by the river and... Uh, listen to it. And when I heard him speak about how he became aware of the story God was writing in the midst of his pain, it, it gave me permission to start doing the same. And I kid you not, that permission that it gave me saved my life. Because over the next years of a lot of pain and a lot of difficulty, I, I found that God's story was always there. I, I started to discover that in what felt like obscurity and pain or abandonment, that there was always a different narrative 
that was being offered to me than just what my circumstances would have said. And I found the story of God and I found the promises of God. And he began speaking to things in such times of pain and hardship. I remember I was 18 years old and he told me one night when I was in so, I was just crying out, please, just, please just take Take this away right now. And I remember him telling me, he said, Jordan, I'm going to lift you up one time. One day I'm going to lift you up in this valley and you're going to lead a group of people and your voice. I'm going to use your voice to speak. And I was like, what does that have anything to do with, with right now? Like, I'm, I just want you to take me out of pain. You know, but, but what I didn't realize is he was appealing to a deeper thing. He wasn't just giving me statements of truth. He was starting to piece together, and as I would pray and as I would seek him, he was starting to piece together a narrative that was an alternative narrative to the narrative that my life was telling me, to the narrative that I could see with my own eyes. He had a different story because he sees from a different perspective, and his story is glorious. His story turns ashes into beauty. His story turns generational devastation into generational blessing and legacy. He has a story that is so compelling and so motivating. It is far beyond, you know, what the advertisement agencies of this world can sell us. He wants to sell you the truth. He wants to get you to believe and wholeheartedly, like, give yourself to say yes to the story that's actually true. The story of the kingdom where all things work to the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Where it doesn't matter it, when the enemy comes like a flood, he raises up a standard. Like, he, he writes in incredible stories church but if we're not aware of that story we're kind of I love what Benjamin said like we're like buoys just floating floating looking for like the next thing the next truth the next hit the next dopamine rush the next whatever it is like if I'm not anchored to the story that God is speaking over my life what am I anchored to how do I make sense of my life? You know, uh, Pastor Justin, he says this phrase often uh, when we're in conversations about different things going on. And uh, I've just, I, I think there's so much wisdom in it. And he says, you know, we either as humans internally reflect or we externally project. And I think that, that there's, there's so much wisdom that can be applied in so many different ways. But but tonight, I just want to bring to your attention that if you do not spend time internally reflecting on your life and your situations and what's going on and what you're feeling and, you know, what's actually going on, not just maybe at the first few, you know, five minutes of conscious thought, but as you start wading down into the deeper places, if we're not aware of that, how do we become aware of what God is saying? Right? And if we stay on the surface of our lives, we will miss the depth of what God is doing. Because again, God's story is appealing to the depth and the center of us. The enemy's quick hits, quick satisfactions, quick distraction, just Netflix, just watch another show. No, you don't need to get in the Bible. You need to, you know, you need to do something fun. You know, like there's all these things, but it happens so quick that we miss it. If we're not aware, we miss it. Right? And if we, if there's no reflection, there's no awareness. And if there's no awareness, there's no authority. How can I take authority over something that's being fed to me if I'm not even aware that it's being fed to me? Uh, this, this is what happens. These are the stories. This is, this is the war. Right? I, I want to tell you a story from the summer. That I, that, I, that I think will bring this to some sort of a practical point. Uh, th this summer, you know, most of you know I was on sabbatical, Jackie and I, and uh, about maybe three weeks in, like I wouldn't say things were like terribly wrong, but I was just in a funk. I didn't know what to do with myself. I was just kind of frustrated, and I just kind of just wanted, it was just, I didn't know. It, it wasn't like terrible, there's nothing horrible. It was just like I just wasn't great. And about three weeks in, it was on a Sunday night, and this was just, this was probably the turning point of the whole summer. And I thank God that uh, he's given me a wife with this exhorting gift to really speak truth into me. And she just sat me down before bed, and she said, you know what? She's like, this isn't working. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you're, you're in a funk, basically. She's like, this is, you know, you're just doing your own thing. I feel like you're in this selfish place. Like, like this isn't it, Jordan. She's like, God has more 
for this sabbatical than this. Like she's like, you can, you know, you can go golf and you can have your free time, but she's like, you know, she just she just gave me some straight up exhortation. You know what I'm talking about? Kind of exhortation. I think it had me up at 4 a.m. the next morning, like, oh my gosh. And uh, I woke up at four and the Lord didn't comfort me. He just said, yep. <laughs> and uh, he just said, you need to get your wife, you need to get in the car and you need to go. So I went and woke her up at like six. I said, hey, hun, we just got to go. She's like, where? I don't know. I was like, we just got to go. We're just going to follow the Lord. I said, something's got to shift. And you're right. And we, we went on, we had about a seven days where we just kind of followed the Lord across the West Coast, but the, the last three of those days we spent uh, in, in prayer, uh, just we felt like the Lord just said, dedicate these to prayer. And in, in those days, I remember it was about the first or second day, there was, there was resistance that we were both feeling like, oh man, this is, this is a lot of time, you know, this is just all day. And it was, it was either the first or the second day, and I remember it was like, as we were praying there, it was like this veil was lifted from my eyes and it was like something in me sobered up of seeing how much the enemy had just been messing with my mind. And, you know, I was tired. I think I just kind of, you know, uh, just kind of just tired. And I think in that place, it was like, oh, my gosh, like you're messing with me. I started seeing all these thought patterns that were like, this is this is not true thought patterns about you know, my, how I was seeing myself, how I was seeing my life, how I was seeing my relationship with the church, how I was seeing my relationship with Jackie. And I just started like, oh my gosh. And it was like, it was like, it was like this sobering came up in me. It was like, no. And all I can say, it was like this feeling of like enough is enough. And it was like, I just saw, I was like, you've been tweaking and you've been lying and you've been feeding this, you've been feeding that. And I was just like, I'm done listening to these narratives because I became aware of them, right? As I became aware of them, it was easy to take authority over them because you can take authority because in Jesus, the enemy's already defeated, right? The only way that he's really going to have authority over us is if we just give him the authority because we're doing it without even knowing it. But it's like in this moment, I saw it and I was like, enough. And I'm not kidding you. There was such a shift, a shift in us. We, it was like a whole world of different conversations and things opened up. It's like we stepped into this pocket of grace that was powerful. I mean, powerful. Like it shifted the next two months. Like we looked back at that and we were like, those three days were probably one of the most catalytic three days of the whole year because of what God did. It was like he took us out. It was like instantaneously. It was like, no, out of this story and into this story and what? wow, this story's good. This story's motivating and this story is hopeful and this story has peace and this story like has purpose. You know what I'm talking about? It was like, boom. But you can't take authority over what you're not aware of. All right, and the Lord, as I became aware of what the enemy was feeding, then I became aware of my need. Well, I need to hear what you're saying. And the Lord's like, no, don't listen to this. Listen to this. And this is going to bring a whole new reality because this is truth. That's untruth. That's unreality. Don't listen to that. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to get you in a rut. He wants to make you feel stuck. He wants to make you feel like you need a new transmission in life. You don't. You just need to listen to me. I became sober of sober mind, and I took my mind back. And I was like, no, 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 no more, no more. And then I started wielding the sword of the Spirit. And I remember we'd just start praying, and I'd just start declaring God's promises over us. This is what you're doing. This is what you're saying. And, I mean, it's, it's incredible. There was, it was two months that Jackie and I, there were things that we were both contending for. And, and, and within two months, I mean, we were shocked. It was like reality shifted. And... And I believe a lot of it just because our hearts were positioned to receive different things than what we were prior. All right. And so the, the, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And he wants to speak a different story. He has a different story woven through the pages of this beautiful library that is just full of hope and promise for you. Because he wants us living the real thing. Right? But if I'm not aware, I can't take authority. And I really want to stress this, you know, even in this time of, of fasting, you know, I'm, I'm sure and I'm, I'm just going to guess that there's been a number of you that have been uh, 
under attack. Because again, the enemy doesn't like fasting. He doesn't like fasting because it makes you dependent upon God. <laughs> You're going to be in contact with him. All right, and so I just, I, there, there were a few things, like, I'm going to give you just examples, like, what this looks like, All right? So, like, I'm sure some of you heard this this week. Like, this fast is a waste of time. Do you feel any different? You're, you're not even a spiritual person. You don't even know what you're doing. You didn't even pray yesterday. Just, just give it up. Then your stomach's like, yes. Yes, that's truth. Cheeseburger. Right, and God's like just beneath the surface. Hey, light momentary suffering is producing an eternal weight of glory. Do not lose hope. Though the outer man is decaying, take heart. Your inner man is being renewed and nourished with supernatural grace. Don't lose heart. It's not about what you can't see. I know you can't, you know, but but what you can see in faith, right? The hungry and the thirsty will be satisfied. Your marriage has been this way for 20 years. It's never going to change. You are just not compatible. That's why your communication sucks. Your spouse just doesn't get you. He or she's never going to get you. It's not going to change. Why would you even put your hopes up? Why would you even make your heart vulnerable again? Like, do you see this is the same pattern? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? That's insanity. You're insane. Just give it up. It's just like, Maybe just beneath the surface. Call to me and I'll answer you and tell you great and mighty things that you don't know. Behold, don't look to the past. I'm doing a new thing. I'm the God who births springs in the desert and makes a way where there's no way. I make all things new. Do not grow weary. Fight the good fight and you'll receive the crown of life. You know, here's one that comes after me. Jordan, the church is never going to break through into the vision you have. You don't know what you're doing. You're not gifted enough leader. You have too radical of a vision. America just doesn't want what you carry. Go somewhere else. And the Lord's just like, no, I'm strong where you're weak. I qualify you where you're not qualified. In your weakness, my power is perfected. I'm the one who begins and I'm the one who finishes. Don't look to yourself, look to me. You know, you're not called, called. Your anointing is lame. And you know how you know your anointing's lame? Because how many people are following you? How many people are on your Instagram? You really think that you're called by God? No, you're not called by God. Like, these are the types of things that just seep into our thoughts. I'm serious, you guys. These are the things I've recognized that when I'm on social media, it is like a feasting ground for lies. Because I can make stories so quick, or maybe he can make stories so quick of like, oh, yeah, you see that church and that pastor? That's what it really means to be anointed. And I can read, I can read books of other people, and it's like, oh, wow, look at that gift. They're amazing. They have wisdom. You never, like, it's so easy. Right? But if we're not aware, we can't take authority. But once we become aware, we can take authority. And then it's a quick, shoom, then the Lord starts giving truth. Right? You're not called, your anointing's lame. No, the Lord says, I called you. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know the plans I have for you. Don't grow weary. Don't just look to things on the outside, but you have to look on the inside because God's more aware of who you're becoming than what you're doing. And if you're faithful to sow in secret, you'll reap and harvest. And what you do in the hidden place where nobody's watching, God will promote you to the mountaintop and you'll start to see and you'll shout and everybody will hear you. Right? There, like there, he always has a different perspective. His perspective's so good. It's so beautiful. It's like, it's like a motivating. It is like he wants to pull you into a river that you can't get out of. And this resistance that wants to steal, kill, and destroy, that's why we just have to start recognizing, okay, if I feel resistance, I need to stop, drop, <laughs> pray, and listen. I need to listen. I need to become aware. And if we'll start actually internally reflecting, 
right? Sometimes we're, we feel these difficult emotions. And like Justin said, we either internally reflect and it will lead us to the truth because Jesus is living inside of us or we'll externally project. No, it's that fault. It's because I don't have enough money. It's because my job sucks. It's because I need that new car to get out of the domesticated life. It's because, like we, we just, we project, project, project. It's like, no, I need that fix or that fix or that fix or that fix. And then pretty soon we're just pulled apart to a million pieces because we're searching for our own reality. When God's like, come to me, come to me, come to me and listen, listen that you might live. Come and learn my still small voice. Come and start letting me show you the story of your life. First book I ever wrote is not published and it never will be. I spent a year and I, I wrote a story that was my own soul. And I started thinking I was going to write, you know, next New York Times bestseller. And then I realized that it was just for my own healing. It was part of me coming out of untruth and into the truth and the Lord refining how I saw my own life. And I found God in that story. I mean, literally, I spent a year, it's like 250 pages. I just wrote and wrote to try to make sense of my life. And he gave me belief. I found myself, I found him. I, I, I found faith that there was something more than just a shriveled, painful, broken life, which is what I felt like I had. I started to see things that I couldn't have seen myself. I found purpose. I found, I found hope. He has the same story for you. He has a story that is so glorious that you would never want a different story than just the one that he's writing in your own life. How do you know that you've every thought captive to the obedience of Christ because you live a life possessed by hope. That's how you know you got his story. You are just pumped up with hope. And not like this whimsical thing, like this confident expectation that I will see God's goodness in the land of the living that I am the apple of his eye, that I am chosen, that I am called, that I am knit together to do something significant, that I have purpose, that I am, I am a son or a daughter of the creator of, of true reality, and I'm a part of his creation. I'm a part of this story. Battles in the mind. So I have a sense that God wants to bring sobriety tonight. He wants to bring sobriety from this like mind-numbing fog that just kind of gets us like zombies. It's like you're alive, but not, not alive enough to live. And you're feeling dead, but you're not dead enough to die. You're just kind of in this. God wants to break through. And so if... You know, even if I shared that tonight, and if there's, I don't know, if there's resistance in your heart in any way, or you just know, like, there's something even sobering up in you, I want you to just respond to the Holy Spirit right now. Um, and I just want you to come forward, and I'm just, you know, we'll close service in a bit, but I just, I'm, we're, I just want you to come. I want you to respond and just say, God, like, because I think part of the response is it's like, okay, I've been here, but I, I want to, I'm going to step out of this, and I'm going to step back into my authority. I'm going to take my power back. I'm going to take the power that you've given me over my own mind tonight, that God has not given me a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. God wants to restore a sound mind tonight for those that are just saying, I'm tired of this fog. I'm tired of this confusion. I'm tired of these narratives that are going that you don't even know what the narratives are right now, but you just say, I know there are narratives that I have been believing that are just stealing from me. Like they're just stealing from me. And I just thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing in this room right now. I thank you, God, that you came to, to seek and save, God, those that are lost by the influence of the evil one. God, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that, that breaks 
every chain that has authority over every lie, every story of the enemy. If you're on the prayer team, you could just start maybe just roaming and just laying hands. I just want you to lay hands on people's minds and just, just, we're just going to pray that like for just such like a, like a, you know, we, we sang that song, just, I want to blow on through. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will just blow on through and that God will catch us up into his story. <laughs> we sang it already. Yeah. I don't know, Becca, or if somebody wants to come and maybe just play the keys or something, I think that would be good. Yeah, if you're just in your seats, I actually want you to be a part of the ministry team. I just want you to lift your hands. And I just want you to maybe, maybe put one hand towards our brothers and sisters that are coming forward and put one hand on your own head. And we just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you will blow on through, that you will blow away this fog, God, this disorienting fog, God, these thoughts, these, these, these spiritual seeds, God, that are rooted in, in, a, in, in evil, Lord, in destructive influence, God, that have a force behind it to try to, to, try to, to kill still and destroy. We just pray that you'll just blow on through right now, God, that you will touch minds with your saving power right now, Lord, that you will break the narratives, that you will break strongholds of thoughts, God, thought patterns, maybe some that have been rooted for year after year after year, maybe some that are generational thought patterns that your, your mom was a drug addict and your grandma was a drug addict or, 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 or generations of divorce or anxiety or all these different stories that just want to create a false identity. We just say, break through the stories tonight and let the story of God break through. God, we thank you that your kingdom is the highest kingdom and that every other kingdom is not true and it is a lie. And we just say, let your kingdom, God, come and break in tonight. Lord, let it literally just crush the enemy. Let it crush his words. Let it crush these influences and release a new story, God. Release the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And let the word of God come and speak a new promise, speak a new reality. Speak a new story. God, break in with the power of your spirit, God. We thank you that no demon in hell stands before the name of Jesus. And so we just speak to the darkness in Jesus' name. And we say no more. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. We speak freedom, God. Get your hands. We just bind the enemy. All the influence, all the voices, get out in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for freedom that who the Son sets free is free indeed, and that we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Release your truth, O oh God. Your word is truth. Sanctify us in the truth that our whole lives, God, be in alignment with the truth of your word, with the truth of your story, with the truth of your reality, with the truth of your kingdom. No more deception. Break through the resistance, God, and set us free to become the movement. A people of prayer, a people of family, a people of community, a people of worship, a people of generosity, a people of God. Break through the resistance, God, that we can be who you created us to be. Break through the resistance, God. Break through the fog. Break through the chains. Break through the bondage, God. Liberate us, God. Liberate us, God. Liberate us, God. By your spirit, we pray. Yeah, I just feel like there's some of you, that you, you didn't come up at first, but your insides are shaking right now. I, I want you to just come forward. This is your moment. The Spirit of God's here. The Spirit of truth's here. And He's been sent to guide us into the truth. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are literally hovering in this place and you are guiding us into the truth. You, you make known to us the things that Jesus is speaking and you guide us into the truth and the truth sets us free.
the Spirit of God just is, is moving in this place. And so I'm just going to give you permission to release. If you can get your children and you could bring them back in, um, that would be good. But I don't want to disturb. Like if you're receiving ministry, if the Lord's just working, it doesn't need to be a rush. But I just let's just honor the ministry of the Spirit, you know, as we, as we kind of transition. Yeah, we're just going to press into what God's doing. So if you need to leave, you can leave, but 